Welcome, everybody, to a Couch Divided podcast. My name is Nick. Alongside with me, as always, the wonderful, beautiful Dr. Robin Hall. Hello. How are you? I am excellent. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Uh, I've been busy. Oh, my goodness. You have been. You've been a busy bee. Mm-hmm. Me, too. It's been crazy busy this side of the fence. You uh, had your first... Uh, should should we talk about this? Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. You had your first... Um, Farmer's market this weekend. Yeah. So me and my brother started a uh, farmer's market and it went well. Uh, And so there was a lot of months uh, of preparation for this. And uh, we got local vendors from around Phoenix to uh, come and sell their stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we made a pretty good chunk of change and we hope to keep doing this monthly and then soon weekly. Oh, Um, man. That sounds like so much work. Yeah. But we're like the cool thing. No pun intended. As I continue in my thought, it's yeah. actually starting to cool off a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Cool for people in Phoenix is like a hundred, a hundred, like a yeah. hundred and three degrees. Right. Um, you don't stay inside the way that you do when it's 115. Right. So we had a little bit more people coming out. It's still like 90 degrees here. I think you were smart too to do it in the like to have it after the heat of the day, like that crest of the heat of the day. Right. Right. So I was not able to come to this one, but I will be at the next you one. You were missed. I was looking for you like a puppy dog. Like oh, a, were you? Dude, yeah. I thought I told you that I was going to be out in Sandhan. If you did, I I'm forgot. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Probably on me. I forgot. No, I, well, I tech, I at least told Amanda that. Right. Cause I was like, no, we're not, I'm not going to be at this one, but next, the next time we right. will definitely go. Right. Nick right. keeps trying to convince me that I should sell sourdough. Yes. But I do not have uh, a commercial kitchen. Definitely. And I don't have the time to add one more thing in, but I, I will continue to gift you sourdough. That's all I can ask for. <laughs> Some people do it like and they're some people do it out of a kitchen my size, which is quite small, and they right. are successful at it. But I um I'm not ready to invite that kind of stress into my life. So um there were a lot of vendors there. They made some good money too as well. That's great. And, um, you know, there was like that a, keeps them coming back. There was like a tea lady there. Like made uh, her like, own tea? Yeah. Yeah. And some of it is like therapeutic tea too. Sure. Well, you know what I mean? Like gut health and yeah yeah like and then it's things. a real thing yeah and others are just uh you know just good like flavor tea honey tea and things like that you know what I mean? did you buy some she gave uh, she loved the market and so she, she gave, gave all a little, the staff some little uh, gifty which poo is just me and my brother yeah <laughs> <laughs> right you guys have a huge staff so far but uh we employ christian businesses we set up around churches you can go to 810markets.com if you yeah. want to check it out well um, and any of you guys that listen that are in well i mean arizona or the greater like phoenix, phoenix area yeah, like and yeah. you want to sell some of your awesome stuff yeah go to 810markets that's e i G-H-T-T-N. Right. Anybody that does want to sell sourdough, mm-hmm. go. Yeah. Sell some sourdough. Right. right. So 810 markets, eight, spell eight, spell 10, markets, plural.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother, I can feel that both of us are tired. I'm really, oh, oh, yeah, I'm yeah. excited about this uh, episode we're going to record. Right. Um, but I think both of us have been going like Energizer Bunnies and now like we're just kind of settling into my couch. Oof. Right. So yeah. our. Physiology is combating with our <laughs> environment right now. Our We're, physiology is just catching up too. Which is a good segue. Well, I feel like we got to go over our business first. Sure, yeah, we have. Before uh, we segue. Always uh, we have uh, housekeeping. housekeeping. Ha- really quick though, have you ever ridden on one of those segways? 
Oh, yeah. I've never been on one. I feel like I'm so clumsy I couldn't manage it. I've always wanted to be a mall security guard. Oh, my gosh. Because of those things. They do tours, like, in Chicago and New York on those things. Oh, really? Yeah, you can, like, rent them and segue yourself around, I no, guess. In in Times Square, they used to do a horse and buggies. I'm sure Central they still Park. do that. Like, Central Park carriage rides. Maybe. Um. Yeah, I've only been to upstate New York. I've never been to the oh, city. Oh, really? You've never been to the city? No, but I would like to go. Mostly for the food and the theater, actually. Yeah, that's where I wanted to go. That's where I wanted to do comedy for the longest time. Yeah, they've York. got a whole oh, huge yeah. scene there. Mm-hmm. Not that I know tons about it. Three or four famous clubs. You know, yeah. Clubs I would so there. go watch a comedy show there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Probably wouldn't be everyone's favorite flavor of tea. Pretty edgy, but there's some alt scenes. Oh, my gosh. I have to tell you something. (laughs) Speaking of edgy, James was listening to one of our episodes of On the Couch. Right. My husband is so dutiful and like he really goes, he listens to all on, he listens to A Couch Divided religiously Uh whenever we have a new episode. Right. But he also goes and listens to the episodes that he's recorded with us for On the Couch because he's kind of become like our third host. Um, which is so awesome. I cannot make myself do it. Like I hear myself talk through it one time and I'm like, okay, mm, that's it. Yeah. I can't really listen to my own. <laughs> it's really hard, but really he, hard. he was like, you, you and Nick keep saying that on the couch is edgy. He's like, I'm not so sure you know what edgy means or something along those lines. And I was like, Hey, it's edgier than a couch divided. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I would say it's edgier in the senses that uh, we. Well, it's laid back. I guess that's really what we I, mean. I don't really. Uh, it's have not a like filter we're filter. We're not that. rap yeah. battling each other yeah. or. <laughs> I don't have a filter on it. Yeah, much yeah. much less filter. If you listen to that uh, episode on um, on the couch where James is interviewing me. Oh yeah. I think you will understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, tell us what you think. Um, how do you listen to On the Couch? Well, this is our Patreon-only show right? that we release every week, and we have we are building. We have a, a nice little hunk of Patreon subscribers now. We love you guys. We love all of you, but we really appreciate your support because we want to continue to produce good content and lots more of it. And to do that, we yeah. need money for equipment and... Uh, production this right. is it's, so we can keep doing this yeah. yeah it's crazy how much stuff like this actually ends up costing yeah. just just to be able to like load a podcast episode is a fee per month for us right, so right, right. anyway well anyways but uh, yeah that's like co- come listen and decide whether or not we're edgy <laughs> yeah that's uh patreon.com slash a couch divided yep and uh you'll love it. it's five bucks a month you'll love it uh please subscribe we yes. already got some subscribers right now they seem to be liking the show yep and they didn't no we and we loved like every everyone's feedback for on the couch so far has been great um we also have some super cool stuff coming for you guys in the new year we're doing a total revamp about how we even produce episodes on a couch divided and we're gonna have a couple of tiers on patreon so um yeah just stay tuned we have some awesome awesome episodes coming up too Mm -hmm. and i think that was all of our oh keep sending us please emails to right. a couch divided pod at gmail yeah a couch divided podcast, podcast. at gmail.com right. but um a couch your divided pod uh on at, instagram uh, on instagram and facebook. facebook so send us your experiences as christians um in therapy as therapists what's christ done for you in terms of mental health since you've been saved right 
Um, we and we will we're like putting together a whole segment where we talk about those stories that you send us, right. of course, anonymously. Um, and that is also through our Patreon. So right, right, right. please send us your stuff. We love hearing from you guys. And you've been super vulnerable so far in what you've sent. And we appreciate that. It's hard to talk about some of the stuff. So yeah, we'll get that on there too as well. When we start talking about dreams or when we start talking yeah. about your uh, life and therapy uh, yeah. and uh, or counseling or just the process of think. Uh, yeah. What's Jesus done for you in your mental health? Right. You know, right, yeah. um, and it doesn't even have to be your experience. It could be like a third party, um, a secondhand account. If some, you right, know, somebody right. that's gone through something. And right. like I said, we'll keep everything anonymous. So, right, right. well, with that, sir. Do we need anything else? Was there any more? No, nope, that's it. Uh, just continue listening. We appreciate it. Yep, every like, one of share, you. subscribe. Right, right. All of the things. I apologize in advance about my mic. For some reason, I, I believe it's going in and out. I hear it. I mean, I wouldn't be able to tell, but. See, this is why we need new equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Get a better mic. We know, we know podcasters that literally just record from an app on their phone. <laughs> And that's fine. I mean, you do with whatever you, you know, do. Although they do have like a full studio that then takes the recording and does Mm -hmm. all that needs to be done with it. So we don't have that. We don't have our own studio. Nick is our studio. We are literally on a couch. In my living room. And then I edit it. Yeah. And (laughs) Nick does all of the producing. (laughs) At a coffee shop. Yeah. Oh, okay. That was not our most seamless transition, but what are we talking about today? Well, I mean, we mentioned it earlier that we were tired, right? Yes. Well, um, (laughs) the reason why we're tired, the reason why anybody gets tired (laughs) is because they're working. (laughs) They got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I feel like so far, nobody would be able to properly guess what we're going to talk about, even with that as a... (laughs) Well, let's just talk about nature and nurture. Let's just just (laughs) throw it out there. Yeah. So the nature-nurture debate... Which is a, um, right. I mean, I feel like it's been, I've spent so long, like doing papers and stuff on this long, long ago. Mm. I mean, not even in really in graduate school, like it was in undergrad first. Right. Um, so I get kind of sick of the talk of it, but, um, it's a huge point in modern, like modern psychology, pop psychology, people talk about it a lot. So we thought we would give you guys, um, some actual working definitions around what that even means and talk about what God says about it. Yeah. How we live in light of it. uh, You know, uh, just to begin with the reason why this is a compelling and interesting question, not only because it's just been talked about since probably Adam fell, um, but especially in psychology, um, you know, we're going to talk about personal responsibility. We're going to talk about what that means as far as your genes and environment go. And a lot of the times the secular world just brings up genes and environment to, uh, to exonerate you from right. Or to excuse you from, yeah. 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 And, uh, I don't think that's, um, that's not wise whatsoever. So. Well, no, I mean, we see the really terrible fruit of that. Yeah. Uh, an all encompassing thought responsibility is part of your design and makeup. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and it actually and, like, it makes, it makes everything better because if you can, if you can accept responsibility for your own sin mm-hmm. and repent of it, mm-hmm. you can and it, it, move it, forward. It's a sort of how the physical and the immaterial, um, you know, meet, you know, uh, is that when you take responsibility, that is an immaterial ethic. And uh, I, right. I yeah. mean, I think it can have like tangible, you can, there are tangible ways one takes responsibility, but yeah. it is a, it's a moral question. Yeah. 
and, and uh, of course, that is going to you know change the way you perceive the world too as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Relieve a lot of stress, yada yada yada, and uh, your brain and uh, your body will acclimate to that too as well. And so that's why doing good makes you feel good. <laughs> you know <laughs> what I mean? <coughs> so yeah. So um, I think we're gonna start with kind of an overview of. Like, let's operationally define what we even mean when we say, like, the nature-nurture debate. Um, and then, um, so we're going to start with, it, like, defining it from a secular psychological point of view and then move through some of the history of it. Right. And then once we feel like we've kind of covered that as meat and potatoes, Nick is going to enlighten all of us about the, like, script what, what we actually have given, provided to us by God in scripture about this whole idea. Right. Um, and, you know, the practical application thereof. But I think really, truly, ultimately, um, understanding what our nature is as, hu- as humans, but from a Christian perspective, is extremely vital to our, to living, right? It informs our worldview in a really grand way. Mm. Um, and if we aren't thinking about it correctly, we can get into some serious trouble. Right. So what do we mean, uh, when we say, um, the nature nurture debate, what is that actually referring to? So generally the nature nurture debate involves the extent to which particular aspects of behavior are a product product of either inherited. So genetic DNA, right? Mm -hmm. Or acquired, which would be like environmental learned influences. Mm -hmm. So it is the question of, is this a result of our DNA, right? Our genetic makeup, what we have inherited from our fathers, the sins we have inherited from our fathers, or is it a result of the environment that we grew up in? So um, does a criminal I'm, I'm this is kind of broad because hi i'm robin i definitely have been a criminal way more than once in my life um is somebody's criminal behavior a a product of the fact that they were maybe raised by parents who you've been struck by you've been hit by yeah. a smooth criminal you can't help it it's such like i'm I can't believe I wasn't singing that already when you started singing it. So like is what's is what is happening is how somebody behaves, thinks, acts, uh, how they speak is somebody's personhood, the product of how they were raised, right? Where they were raised, what they were raised according to more, Mm. or is it their genetics that is um, of more influence? So the debate comes in, what, what actually has more influence, right? Mm-hmm. So is it somebody's DNA or is it somebody's environment that has more influence over what they turn out to be? Right. I think that's a good way of kind of summarizing right. it. Um, so for like many, many moons, we'll see there's been a lot of like debate about this. Like, mm. is this, are we really the product of our environment mm. or more so than we are the product of what we have inherited like genetically from our parents. And this, this question goes back long, long, long before anybody even had like the concept of like inherited material, like DNA. Um, so that, that idea is like human nature Mm -hmm. is what the the concept used to describe that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nurture being how your mommy nurtured you 
or didn't. Mm. Nature being what your mom gave you in terms of a genetic inheritance. I remember the cynics in Greek times uh, were so linear in their thinking that um, the Stoics and uh, in Greek philosophy would say that the world around them is illusory. Illusory. Uh, yeah, because everything was pointed on logic and perception. And then the cynics would come around and say, um, you know, in a world of illusion, appearance is often truth. And I uh, hate philosophy. <laughs> I really yeah, yeah. And you can hear the, the, the cynical nature. Uh, it was a lot more heady back Do then. something. Go yeah. plant a plant and yeah. watch it grow. Like, ugh. Uh, the reason why I bring that up is because perception, you know, it plays a role in how we react and interact in our environment. I'm just only thinking about living in that time where one side is saying illusory and the other side is you see what you get and never, There's never, an never the two shall yeah, meet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just want to be like the kind of rich that you get to be, especially several thousand years ago where it's like you have the time to sit around and think about that. Yeah, I really do. I want that kind of affluence in my life. Yeah, that's what I do at coffee shops. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, maybe so. Maybe it doesn't take affluence. Oh, I, don't I don't know. know. You, yeah. I, so I should I shouldn't say like I hate philosophy. I don't hate philosophy. I, I do it. have a tendency to dislike some of the philosophers. I, I love hating it. So what I mean by <laughs> that is I love studying it, and I think Socrates is a brilliant man, um, and I think <clears throat> Plato's a brilliant man. Oh my um, gosh! I just love picking them apart, though. <laughs> Can I tell you that I had a professor? I think so. She had her doctorate, yeah, not in psychology, something else. Mm. Um, but she taught undergrad, and I love loved her dearly. She was the coolest later lady later. She was the coolest lady. Yeah, but for a whole like a whole class period, I don't remember what class this was. She was quoting Socrates, but she was saying Socrates, yeah, because that's how Socrates yeah. is spelled in English. Socrates, yeah. Um, and. I was like, it. I did like massive double takes through the whole class. Like, is she kidding? Like, does she not she wait? And then it finally to. dawned on me like, no, she is just not, it's yeah. not, she's not connecting so that crazy. this is Socrates. So great. Okay. Sounds like something you, PhD. Should, you would put in club soda to make it fizz. <laughs> so great. <laughs> yeah. Like a, yeah. Or a sucret. <laughs> I don't know. It does sound like either food yeah, or like a mint or some kind of bathing <laughs> yeah. apparatus or baking soda. Yeah. So great. <laughs> Let's add some so to this. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I will go to my grave remembering that and this like is, how weird it was. This is the new Sprite with so <laughs> <laughs> it's diet with Socrates. Diet Sprite. Socrates for you. Um, so nature, just re- reverting back to our actual I topic. How do we do that? Nature is yeah. what we think of as pre-wiring, yeah. and it's influenced by genetic inheritance and other biological factors. Mm. Uh, nurture is generally taken as the influence of external factors following conception. So, it, for example, product exposure, toxin exposure, life experiences, and any kind of learning that an individual does. Mm. So I think it gets kind of like gray. If you look at somebody like, for example, that would, I mean, we could even use your own experience who suffers a TBI. Mm. So you were not born with a TBI. Mm-hmm. You actually, you suffered through a TBI right. when you were a young adolescent, mm. which actually changed the structure of your brain, mm. at least 
in my speech. Uh, yeah. yeah, like there were huge, huge effects, right? Influenced uh, my nerves too as well. So like uh, the, the hematoma on my brain um, uh, was so far pressed uh, into that, uh, uh, into a particular lobe where I couldn't feel my right hand Weird. for a couple of years. Do yeah, you still get numbness? No, 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 not at all. Um, when things like fall out of my hand, I blame it on that, but that's just me. You know, it's just, You're not paying attention. But um, I do have a slight stutter that I notice mm -hmm. uh, that nobody ever says, you know, you stutter or you have a speech impediment, but I still remember I'm also spiking I, your coffee with yeah, yeah, cocaine. Yeah, yeah so. cocaine and sucrets. <laughs> and, and, so, and, and, and so great. <laughs> but I, I do remember how I spoke before that. And I, that's so uh, crazy. Yeah, so it, it's weird how that stuck. So with is me. that nature or nurture? I think nurt it becomes an environment. It's environmental at first sure, because yeah. you suffered an injury that caused ish, you know, like an actual injury to your brain. Think of accents in such <clears throat> a way where you can actually get rid of an accent or keep an accent. Sure. And, and but it becomes yeah. a yeah. nature question because what, like now we're talking about a physical structure change mm -hmm. to your right. brain, right? Yeah. So that would be like uh, when I said that uh, nature refers to other biological factors, mm -hmm. that would be considered one. But there's some crossover that happens here depending on what happens sure. and when in your life. How it manifests. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I'm just going to, this is from an article that I found. And if you guys are interested in actually reading any of these articles, then let us know and we'll make them available, the citation. So. Or don't, then we won't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Behavioral genetics has enab enabled psychology to quantify the relative contribution of nature and nurture concerning specific psychological traits. So in psychology, this question, of course, is referring to what causes human behaviors, human thought processes, right? Actions, emotions, and so forth. We're looking at psychological traits when we ask this question. Right which might differ from another sub-discipline in philosophy. So um, instead of defending any extreme nativist or nurturist views, most psychological researchers are now interested in investigating how nature and nurture interact in a host of qualitatively different ways. Right, right. So we're going to talk about epigenetics here in just a second. But the, it, it's funny, they still qualify it as a, an emerging discipline which i guess it is but it's like 40 years old now yeah. it's definitely been around and for a emerging, while yeah. it's it's a long emergence that's happening like for long as i can remember <laughs> it must have started i wrote a paper in like 2005 that right. it had epigenetics in the title mm -hmm. so it's been it's been around for quite a while now but i guess it's still technically emerging mm -hmm. um so Again, I am just setting the stage for you guys from a secular point of view about how the world and psychology specifically views these concepts. Yeah. We're, what I am not saying by any stretch of the imagination is that this is what uh, the way that a Christian should be looking at these things. So we'll sure. get there. Sure. Just, you know. To hang in. throw that hang in hang, hang in. in there guys so the origins okay of the nature nurture debate uh they date back for thousands of years and across many cultures sure, across many i just uh yep gave you one example <laughs> so the greek philosopher galen yeah maybe oh, i feel like maybe we should start pronouncing all of these totally wrong yeah. just for fun galen galen yeah. Galen yeah. theorized that personality traits were the result of a person's relative concentrations of four bodily fluids or humors. Yeah. For those of you guys that have ever taken a psych 101 class, you are familiar with this. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure they do it in like anatomy 101 sure, yeah. and like it's very, it kind of spans yeah. disciplines. Humors. So four humors, mm -hmm. uh, blood, phlegm, phlegm. Mm -hmm. Should I keep doing that? Phlegm. Blood. 
<laughs> phlegm, yellow bile, and black bile. Blood in the Hebrew language. Yellow bile. <laughs> so the actual terminology, like the, the the semantics of nature nurture, actually comes from Sir Francis Galton's 1874 publication of English Men of Science: Their Nature and Nurture. So that's where the, that terminology comes from. Mm-hmm. But the idea of does man have a nature or a disposition, mm-hmm. right? Or like that is totally independent of his environment or does he have a nature that is influenced by how that, how that nature ultimately is nurtured by the environment. Like Gallen and his uh, theory here, you know, I I always wonder what were they, what were they involved in back then that he glued up on these factors right here. What do you mean? Oh, you mean like what? Yeah, what were they exposed to <laughs> that they were only going to consider body uh, bodily fluids? I and bet you he was, well, if it wasn't him, it was some of his buddies. Like they were, you know, they were really doing a lot of like research the only way they could. Which like, Does everybody lack a tissue there? <laughs> and they were just, just eking out from the nose and it's like, well, it's got to be that. <laughs> I think a lot of like autopsy type yeah, infer- sure. came from that. Um, exploratory. Well, did, well did, I mean, blood is an easy thing, sure. right? You can cough up different. Sure. So consumption. Phlegm, yeah. you know, different stuff that way. Um, and I actually don't know what black bile refers to, mm. but it doesn't sound tasty. Yeah. Mm. 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 Okay, so going back to uh, Sir Francis Galton. So in his publication, he argued that intelligence and character traits come from hereditary factors. Mm-hmm. So this was well before I mean, any kind of modern understanding of what genetics are. So in 1874, which is pretty cool. I mean, like that idea, um, I think it takes a generational approach to even coming up, looking at life and like humans as generational and living together right. within generations there, to even come up with an idea like and, that. And there always had to be some kind of concept of uh, hereditary, you know, means um, because, you know, everybody's acknowledged that somebody looks like their father. Somebody looks like their mother. Yeah. Yeah. Brothers look the same. Sisters look the same. Right. Kind of I think it was probably like more interesting when you had like the anomaly happen, True. right? Like the one redhead that, out yeah. of the group of kids yeah. that yeah. it's like, Oh, well, Mm-hmm. Oh, well, your great grandfather, Argyle, yeah. he had the red hair. Boom, that got in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it is really, in, it's interesting. Um, Argyle. All right. Argyle. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's a cool pattern, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, for Sir Francis Galton, okay, that his beliefs were in clear opposition to earlier scholars, such as philosopher John Locke. We all know mm-hmm. John Locke. Um, he's well known for his theory ar- around ch- child development. John Locke. I actually admire his uh, childhood development. It's interesting. Yeah. I, I I do have like a sense of awe and admiration for all of these early guys because yeah. they like when you really think about it, they were ahead over their time. They were well. What's really interesting is if they just read their Bible, they would have had some <laughs> some help here. Some but accuracy. Um, his so he's the guy that we credit with the blank slate kind of hypothesis that yeah. that all children are born <laughs> the tabula rasa that yeah. they're blank and that what they encounter post like natal post birth is mm-hmm. what actually goes on to influence their character development, their personality development, et cetera. It's so weird. You know, it, it, even the Bible understood development when it says, you know, discipline a child, not, Ugh. 
like see what you get the rod. That, you know. Um, but it's funny how that happens when God is the author. <laughs> Walk with your children, by the way. Teach them these <laughs> things. You will live long in the land. Yeah. Why? Because <laughs> wisdom and foolishness will kill you. Or excuse <clears throat> me, foolishness will kill you. So, kind of fat. We're jump. We're gonna jump over some some history there. If you guys want more like actual history of the development of these ideas, let us know, and we could do like maybe a sub episode or an on the couch where we talk about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but coming to the twentieth century, uh, most of the ideas were the the same, right? It's either this blank slate idea, or maybe. And things like intelligence are actually mm. inherited. Mm. How is that? How would that be possible? Mm-hmm. Especially before there was any understanding of DNA. Mm. Uh, for most of the 1900s, the two tom- dominant schools of thought when it came to human behavior and psychiatric symptoms were behaviorism. Right. So that emphasized the importance of learning principles and shaping behavior and psychoanalysis, which developed from the ideas of Sigmund Freud. Right. So his theory, which is called drive theory, and if you guys haven't listened to our episode it's our first well we did we talk this, about right? oh yeah yeah because yeah, we, we talked about freud so much ado about self it's not the first episode we published but it is the first episode we recorded so you can go all the way back in our treasury and listen to it's that one of, my, or one of my favorite ones same um so drive theory is for, is freud's theory of psychosocial development psychosexual yes. excuse me development yeah, yeah. so in which he argued that two primary drives exist in people, um, an aggressive drive and a sexual drive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Both could be conscious or unconscious, mm-hmm. but that those drives were kind of channeled through various defense mechanisms or copes. Mm-hmm. And then that was whatever manifested as a result of that is what kind of came together to form a human person in terms of their personality. You talk about somebody, a a man influencing the culture. We use these terms and don't even realize that they're from Freud. Oh yeah. No. Right. I know so much stuff is Freudian. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he was a staunch evolutionary. Oh yeah. Uh, That was his worldview. Um, He was so pumped too as well because he (laughs) wanted to say that psychotherapy was a way to explain. Yes. Not the other way around. Yeah. 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 For (laughs) sure. Right. This like this is that this is he was looking at God's world, which is both physical and spiritual, both material and immaterial and trying to to describe what he saw. He even called young Carl Jung a heretic (laughs) using that word. (laughs) So he oh. viewed his um, uh, approach, uh, his understanding of psychotherapy, obviously, he was one of the forefathers of it as a religion, you know? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Not, no narcissism what, there. And he did a couple of lines. <laughs> Whilst he was doing Whilst. the co- the cocaine. The cocaine. The cocaine. Um, so interestingly enough, both like... Um, Freud really believed in the influence and he, you can see this in all of his writings. Like he really honed in on the influence of, of nurture, mm. which your mom, mm-hmm. Freud, your mom, like we all think of, when we think of Freud, one of the like tropes we think of is his relationship with his <laughs> yeah, mother. Like, we have so many your mother jokes. I know your mom. Freud would eat them all up. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> My mother. <laughs> Muta. Yeah. Um, so he believed very much that a person's experiences and their environment really defined and made them uniquely mm. them. And that that environment would have been a prevailing, mm. a prevailing force with regard to development. Right. Oh, Freud. 
Oh, your mom. Your mom. Um, so I just wanted to go through a little bit of the like, there are people that fall or have fallen at least historically into the like, oh, it's all nurture versus it's all nature mm. category. Um, so I'm going to go through that a little bit uh, and then kind of round it out with where modern psychology sits. And we've, we alluded to it a little bit, but it's really this idea of epigenetics, which is a confluence of both DNA and environment and how those things come together and interact to form personhood mm. really. Um, so that's, you know, our, the, where it currently sits is this idea that we are, we are products of both our inheritance mm -hmm. and our experience. Right. So it's really not actually that complicated, but it's been a long, it's been a long time coming to that point, I would say. Mm -hmm. at least within the last 40 years as yeah, epigenetics definitely. emerge. What's really interesting, and I probably should save this until later, up until maybe like the last 10 years, um, the mostly held thought among psychologists, psychological researchers, even people doing research in psychology, is that it was about 50-50. Like it was more this or about even across the board. Mm -hmm. And that is not what they are finding currently. Well, so it's like, you know, during the enlightenment period uh, as well, you get this concept of what we understand to, uh, free will to be mm -hmm. uh, right now. And that was, um, and I'm not even talking about the theological debate, but it entered into there is that we never, I mean, even the Christian community would talk about this. And then the enlightenment period really emphasized on the ability to choose between the good and the bad. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's kind of 50 50 that way because if you have free will, then you're not, you know, bound, bound by anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what, well, what I find really interesting is like this, these terms seek only to describe our like physical, physiological self mm -hmm. and not, they completely ignore the spiritual component of right. a human being, which is right. why they fall short immediately. Mm -hmm. But when you're looking at this stuff as a psychological researcher and you start to see, oh, it actually seems to be weighted. And this is true. Like right. we're finding that it seems to be much more weighted on the environmental side. And yeah. let me explain that. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, smoking. Mm -hmm. The reason that smoking causes cancer mm -hmm. is, I mean, you would, you would assume that it's all these chemicals mm -hmm. that you are inhaling mm -hmm. so the reason that smoking habitually let's say it that way mm. can cause cancer is actually much more related to the heat mm. that you are introducing into your lungs when you inhale mm -hmm. from a lit like a fire cigarette or a cigar whatever mm. um and it is the heat that actually alters the dna in the cells of your lungs mm -hmm that causes them to become like rapidly reproducing when they are not supposed to be rapidly reproducing. I am mm -hmm. boiling cancer down to extremely basic components. So um, like, please understand that I'm not describing how at all, how every cancer works. I'm yeah, specific, don't, specific. Don't go ahead and, 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 <laughs> and smoke with a breath mint thinking that's <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> but it is it, more than the chemicals. It is the heat, the introduction right. of that extreme heat into your lungs that actually alters the DNA in the cell and causes or can cause those cells to be rapidly reproducing, which is what most cancer is. It is cells in your body that are producing at an absurd rate and that shouldn't be like, hello, and that's, you know, get tumors. Okay. So right. <clears throat> when you think about nature, nurture in light of something like that, 
you are introducing into your body an environmental influence, right, right by smoking, right. that then has the ability to influence or reconstruct even DNA components, like right. genetic components in your body, um, which you're going to get to this in just a second, Nick. Uh, considering what God tells us about the fall, mm-hmm. right, and the impact and relationship that exists between human people and the sure. environment, it's like a perfect picture yeah. of that happening. Like with the fall, the introduction of sin into the world, we get thorns and thistles. Mm-hmm. So human beings, we're, we're finding, have a lot more ability to influence even their genetics, mm-hmm. right? They're, it's not as set in stone as we first thought right, right. that it would be when we started mapping human genome. So... Yeah, I feel like I just totally skipped over the middle part of this, but um, that's fine. I'll just, I'll kind of summarize. There are people or there have been people that fall in the extreme of either of these positions, either like it's all nature or it's all nurture. So nativism would be the extreme nature position. Right. And um so we've long known that certain physical characteristics are biologically determined by genetic inheritance, color of eyes, straight or curly hair, skin pigmentation, certain diseases such as uh, Huntington's. Um, all of all of these are a function of the genes that we inherit. Okay, mm-hmm. so that has led many to speculate as to whether psychological characteristics such as behavioral tendencies, personality attributes, and mental abilities are also quote wired in before we're even born. Mm-hmm. So this idea that in, like intelligence is inherited at one point that was a brand new idea. Mm-hmm. It was not something we kind of take stuff like that for granted now, right? We don't just assume that because your dad was real smart, you might also be yeah. smart too. Yeah. Not surprising. Right. So um, those who adopt an extreme hereditary position are known as nativists. Mm. So that's the, it's all the nature. <laughs> Their basic assumption is that the characteristics, characteristics of the human species as a whole are a product of evolution and that individual differences are due to each person's unique genetic code. Right. So that would be ignoring, which is so interesting because that's not what Darwin said at all. Mm. At, uh, even Darwin says that the environment influences like long-term genetic adaptation, right? right? And this is well, like, he wouldn't have used genetics, right. but the adaptation is a product of the environment you live in. And this is not just, you know, um, just IQ either. No, uh, no. Uh, because you know, when you look at men and women, virtually IQ is the same or as far as you know, on the broad spectrum mm-hmm. of things, when they go, oh, women are generally smarter. That's actually because we value more uh, specific traits when we say that women are smarter. But um, oh, no, we're smarter. And I, I know you, you, and that's biased. Okay? Uh, but no, virtually what uh, the, the, the way we take in and process uh, uh, info is pretty much the same. Oh, yeah. We actually, we don't see any difference at all no, between not, gender with regard really. to intelligence. Like right. at all. It's, we all use, we're all 100 is average. Standard deviation is 10 up, 10 but, down. You know, guys look at women and go, man, they're nurturing. You know, I can't do that. They're smarter because uh, we're, we've, we've put value on that and that's okay. But like, I really, yeah, I think so. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel like that would be an interesting. We put take. value, especially in this generation, in woman traits, whereas males are now toxic. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is for sure true. That is the cultural flavor. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. So, uh, in general, uh, 
the earlier a particular ability appears, the more likely it is to be under the influence of genetic factors. Mm. Estimates of genetic influence are called heritability. So extreme examples of this nativist position in psychology include Chomsky. So Mm. he was 1965. He proposed that language, he's our language guy. Mm. Well, one of our language guys is gained through the use of an innate language acquisition device so that we're like born with a physiological ability or predisposition to acquire a language. Um, another example in, uh, in this whole thing is Freud's theory of aggression as being an innate drive called Thanatos, which we talked mm-hmm. about like aggress. Freud believed that you were motivated by your desire to aggress or your desire for sex. Mm. That was it from the time you're born forward. Mm. He changed that a little bit later in life, yeah. but that was the basis of his theory. Go, Freud. Yeah, go, Freud. <laughs> your mom. Talking to you up. Isn't it interesting, though, mom. that this, <laughs> your mom, this guy who was not a Christian at all, in fact, he would have, like, identified himself very far away from any kind of Christian I- ideology, is observing human nature, and he is boiling it down to either want to fight or you want to you want to procreate yeah i mean it's not just pro- it's procreation a, is not even the, like sex these, and yeah, aggression to see these psychological fathers who will we'll cite them that way because we have early church fathers uh, i think of a guy like augustine uh who said some brilliant things he also said some outrageous <laughs> stupid things too as well yeah um and nuanced his position as he grew you know and we see this in every faction of life and even you know uh like like psychological fathers, you know, Freud said some brilliant things, and I do truly agree with that. And I and then he said some things that are just like, unbelievable. Yeah. And you could tell that even later on in his life, I think he was probably just throwing things out there to see if they would stick. But like, like he got that messed up, well, but as like, one does when they're on the cocaine. Well, there's there's a reason why Carl Jung went. You know what? I think that human beings are a little bit more. Uh, but Carl Jung is also completely crazy. Yeah. But yeah. yes, totally. And then yes. Adler comes around and, and then and then so on and so forth. But you see these huge descents happen mm-hmm. from the major school, like within the major schools of thought at the mm-hmm. time. Um, and it is it's interesting. It's mm-hmm. interesting to know the history of all of that. Sure, sure. So people that are of this uh, school of thought, the extreme uh nature Mm. i forgot i was like losing the word for a second um they believe that characteristics and differences that are not observable at birth so Mm. right that you can't immediately see because the baby yeah (laughs) baby can't run baby can't um but that emerge later in life are regarded as the product of maturation so for it's not because of these environmental influences. Mm. It's because that we have this like inner biological clock quote, Mm. which kind of switches on or off in a pre-programmed way. So you're either going to be smart or you're not going to be smart. Mm. And that's determined by birth. Essentially. Mm. And that's it. (laughs) You guys should see Nick's face right now. I'm just just thinking of something when you said baby, baby. (laughs) For some reason I'm like, is he like baby can't run? Baby. And I go, baby's in the corner. <laughs> oh, 
Campo Nick's baby. a romantic, ladies. Camp, Canta, we Campo need to get Nick married. Um, <laughs> and no one's nobody puts baby in a corner. No one's gonna know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> everybody knows what you're talking about. No I don't know if our audience has seen Dirty Dan. Oh come <laughs> on. I, had the time of my life. <laughs> Anyways, go on. everybody's seen the sways. But like, um, I, okay, go on. Go on. <laughs> um, so that's really so so. Um, that's pretty much it. That's that would be like everybody who believes in this. Like, it's all a, it's all about what is inherited, and it's not at all about environment. Right. So most. I mean, I'm sure we could find somebody, but most like a 90 plus percent psychologists today would be like, that is definitely part of it. Mm. Like then what you are born with, your genetic genetic makeup is a blueprint for sure. But they would not probably solely fall into the camp here and deny that environment has any impact. Right. Okay. That it isn't just a product of this like maturation, maturation process that is also predetermined by genetics that environment influences. Mm -hmm. So then you've got the other extreme. So these are people that are really, it's all all nurture, Mm -hmm. right? Like you could be born with the best set of genetics ever. And if you're, you know, not nurtured the way that you need to be nurtured, those genetic, those genes don't express at all. So is that why um, some women uh, will put Mozart on their belly uh, when they're uh, pregnant, and uh, to hopefully introduce things that have been proven to up your IQ, such as Mozart, Beethoven. I mean, that baby Einstein stuff was debunked yeah. long ago, but um, they still do it. I mean, there your baby can hear, mm-hmm. like it's they have they can hear mm-hmm. in utero. Mm-hmm. So you, I mean. You want to play classical music or you want to play some Beatles or some Queen or some Led Zeppelin? Jethro Tull. Oh, <laughs> I actually saw them live. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. It was, I was like 19, I think. <laughs> 18, 19. Let's do it. Oh, Ian Anderson, man. Yeah. Anybody that can sing whilst playing the flute. Yeah. Pretty spectacular. Yeah. Explain that evolution. I don't know. Explain that. Okay. Um, so the basic assumption of somebody in this position and these people are called uh, empiricists, which that is an, that is a really interesting yeah. name to pick because most yeah. people like understand empirical evidence as being the kind of evidence that you want. Mm-hmm. But that's anyway, that's the kind of overarching term is empiricism. So the basic assumption here is that at birth, the human mind is a blank slate and that it is gradually filled, quote, as a result of experience. So this would be like your behaviorist point of view. And see, I I already see the folly in that because in order to experience, you have to process. In order to process, that comes in. Right. So the point is, is that so neither of these position positions take enough into account of the other side's view and they all fail Mm -hmm. to take into account the spiritual component of a person. So, um, we're just, you know, we're kind of failing on all sides here. But so if I were going to describe like my own thoughts on this process, like psychologically, Mm. I, some of the people we're about to talk about Mm. or their theories, I would align myself Mm. with more. So, from the from this point of view, from this empiricist point of view, psychological characteristics and behavioral dif- differences that emerge through infancy and childhood are the result of learning. Mm. So you might have like a fully stocked gene pool, but then you're Tarzan and you get left in the jungle and you're feral and you don't learn language except mm. for whatever language you might be using to communicate with other animals mm. in the forest with you. It doesn't really matter like how smart, you, well, you were at birth, right? Mm-hmm. 
your environment really determined yeah i mean what it, got expressed and what didn't it's not requiring you to be anything other than how you should yeah. live in that environment right? right so i think it's how you're brought up right how you're nurtured that govern governs the psychologically significant aspects of your development and the concept of maturation applies only to the biological so that like so an example of that would be like puberty mm. there is an internal clock that says okay you're 12 13 years old it's time to start puberty mm. okay that's true. Mm-hmm. You don't need somebody to like introduce a pill into your body that says now it's puberty time mm-hmm. for you to start puberty. Well, it's not that there isn't truth to this idea of having like a, an internal well, biological they're doing clock. It re- they're doing it in reverse now. We're going <clears> to <throat> oh, introduce yeah. a pill to block puberty. Uh, yeah. That's a whole nother topic. We'll do that. Guys, again. it's abuse. Yeah. You want to find out what nature and nurture is? Mm. Yeah, go ahead and give a twelve-year-old girl hormone blockers. Oh, and see what what happens. Oh, oh Lord's God, save us! God save us! Um, oh, that just gives me so so many. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just knowing what we know, we haven't even covered yet. yet. Uh, ah. Um. Anyways, they'll be so. Chairs, so. Um. Alfred Bandur- Bandura, he was my guy in school. Mm. His so she, so he's from the like mid to late seventies. Uh, social learning theory states that aggression is learned from environment through observation and, and imitation. So any of you guys that are interested, one of his very famous experiments is called the Bobo doll experiment. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. It's very, it's actually really sad. Yeah. It's so sad. Um, uh, that, that was actually from the early 60s, mm-hmm. that experiment. So he argued, his theory is social learning theory, and he argued that everything that we learn is through scaffolding mm-hmm. and modeling. Like what our parents model for us, we learn, and then we recreate. There is mm-hmm. very significant truth to that very, idea. It's cohesive with John Locke and, and, and what he <laughs> said, but go ahead. It, so mm-hmm. this is re- like we inherit the sins of our fathers, not just gen- a genetic inheritance, a biological flesh inheritance. Mm-hmm. We inherit their, we inherit their bad behavior and their good behavior, their good and bad habits. We watch, you know, especially in Christian circles, uh, homeschooling has always been a big thing. Yes. Um, because we are concerned about what is being introduced, uh, in our children's environment. Um, and you send them off the public school, and they learn things from teachers, adults, and their peers. Or sure. Things like that. And then they learn what the state wants them to learn. They'll uh, recreate that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I love Vody Bauckham's quote on that. I'm totally going to bungle it. But it's something like we can't we cannot be surprised when we send our children off to Caesar and they return Romans. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is real. Like mm-hmm. you 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 absolutely learn from the environment you're in. And if you're surrounded by people that have a liberal, feminist-informed, evolutionary-based ideology, how on earth could you be Mm -hmm. surprised or shocked when they return uh, also touting those beliefs? And I'm saying that as somebody who spent my entire... I spent my entire life in school, save for the last seven, eight years since I graduated with the highest degree you can get. And there are some crazies that go back and get multiple doctorates or get law degrees also they and Mm -hmm. it's it's incredible if that's what you want to do more power to you Mm -hmm. as a christian you should do everything to the glory of god and do it well Mm. um but i went to all public school from elementary middle uh junior high and high school do we i don't think i think junior high and middle are the same right 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Middle, like seventh um, and eighth grade, that was middle school. Right. And I went to private universities, but mm-hmm. it, the, you know, those ideologies are still highly pervasive mm. in the schools that I went to. Um, there are schools now like New St. Andrew, like you can find colleges and seminaries that aren't infected in the same way that most schools are right. by this other ideology. But you really cannot be surprised if you are sending your kids to the state to be trained, that they come back trained by the state and what the state wants you to believe. So anyway, that's its own episode also. Um, You know, and so I think that that was my point. God's going to save who he was always going to save. So it's your job as a parent to be raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to be demonstrating the joy of the Lord in your home, to be giving the gospel to your kids, to be living the gospel out, right? Like when sin happens, there's confession, repentance, forgiveness, grace, and restored fellowship. That's living the gospel out. If you have to send your kids to public school, you got to send your kids to public school. Mm. And there are very Christian people who teach in public school still. God bless them. I don't know how they do it. I couldn't. I really couldn't. I think I would be like pulling my hair out situation. Um, and if God was going to save your kid, there's you can do absolutely nothing to stop that from happening. Mm-hmm. But I think you can play a huge role in protecting your kid from having to unlearn the false presuppositions that they learn in those institutions, which is something that I have had to do in the last over a decade. Mm. So Skinner, which uh, he was a behaviorist Mm. also. um, And he believed that language is learned from other people by shaping behavior shaping is actually, he was the person that came up with the concepts of like scaffolding. Mm -hmm. Um, Skinner has talked about more of this than anybody. Yeah. BF Skinner. I call him Albert, but that's actually who Bandura and Bandura is Albert, Albert or Alfred. It's an A name. Um, So uh, Freud believed that the events in our childhood have a great influence on our adult lives, shaping our personality. And he thought parenting was the primary form of importance, right, in terms of child development, which, again, we've been joking about your mom. Mm -hmm. That's what I would, if I saw Mm -hmm. Freud, I'd be like, your mom. Your mom. Your mom, dude. Your mom. So, yeah, um, that's really it. That's like a great way of kind of, I think a good summary of what the, like the modern thought is on all of this. Um, It's this concept of epigenetics. So it's a term, epigenetics is a term used to describe an inheritance by mechanisms other than through the DNA sequence of genes in combination with the inheritance, Right. right, of DNA. So currently, in the world of psychology, secular psychology, we are we are still of a like an epigenetics view that it is a confluence of both environment and genetics that impact a person's personality, behavior, thought process, emotion. So it tends to capitulate to what the counselee believes. So if uh, oh yeah. For sure. And well, in therapy, in psychotherapy. So yeah. It uses it to explain how maybe they come up with criterion or, you know, things to watch out for. But then when it comes to actually counseling, <laughs> um, you also, you, you immediately see that go out the window based off of what the counselee believes too as well. So if somebody believe you know, uh, uh, in a religion and that, that religion emphasizes uh, spirituality, 
um, they're going to try to be, you know, cohesive with that. Uh, or you mean the therapist? Is. Yeah, the therapist. Is. Yeah. Well, it's important. Like if I'm explaining something to you according to a worldview that you do not have, mm. you might not even understand what I'm right. saying. Um, Freud wouldn't do that. I don't think. Um, a view of human nature is important. And mm. when you completely throw that out the window, you're just a person to talk to at that point. Uh, I don't think that I would. Well, I think Freud would have like taken the like educating approach probably Mm. like this is what we know about nature Mm -hmm. and I'm describing it in the, in my drive theory. Mm -hmm. Um, what, and I would say like a good therapist can identify what your worldview is by you know analyzing what you say and asking you direct questions to get an idea of where you are sure. at and what what you believe but then takes the time mm. to train or teach right according to the worldview that they hold which is why it's so important that your therapist believer mm. is also a is believer is a christian yeah is they're going to, I mean, you, you can't get away from your own opinions and you certainly can't get away from your own presuppositions. No. They're going to eat. And you out might not even know, like you, like I think a lot of the time it's very, very unconscious. Like you don't have an insight necessarily and, and, into what, what it is that's informing yeah, your and view. Sometimes it, it's just whatever you're talking about can be so dynamic that you're not going to tolerate any other thought. You know? Sure. And, like you, it bounces off. Especially when it comes to something moral. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 So Nick. Yeah. Now that we've laid the uh, fallible moral right. ground for understanding what secular psychology believes about nature and nurture, right. will you please tell us for the room, will you summarize sure. what so, God says about this? So we'll talk about that on the next episode. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. No, no. I mean, what does God say about nature? What does he say about nurture? And that's what we want to go because we just made the suggestion that it is important if you do seek counsel to have them at least understand your beliefs, but if not actually believe what you believe too as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And so this is, this is, um, the reason why that's important is because you're entering into an environment um, that needs to be cohesive um, so that you can develop um, um, greatly. Um, so what does God say about nature? Um, and we'll start from uh, we'll start from the beginning in here. Christians should hear nature uh, versus nurture and immediately notice that an evolutionary framework seeks to excuse people from responsibility by explaining behavior as solely a function of genes and environment in that idea which completely forgets the soul, spiritual element of our existence, and reject it as far as to simply and lacking a critical component. Uh, yeah, yeah that, I, that's such a run-on sentence that I wrote. But yeah, yeah. Um, like as a Christian, you need to hear that term, that idea, phrase, nature versus nurture, and immediately remember that it does not take into account your soul. Right. So we're not Gnostics. Um, we do believe in both the material and immaterial. Yes. World. So religions have done this too. only emphasize one or the other. Right. No, we believe that God created both. So though we have a curse applied to us, our environment, as well as us. Mm-hmm. But that also affects our spiritual nature, which is, has a curse. Applied the cur- to the curse yeah. is on creation. Right, right. So our soul 
and our body yeah. are part of creation right. and are both impacted. And, the, and they have certain uh, categorical distinctions. Through thorns and thistles we walk, but the curse is that the ground is producing thorns, thorns and, and Yeah, thorns and so thistles. So this is why the creation groans and this is why we groan. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, waiting for everything to be reconciled. Really, it's just it boils down to this. This is simple biblical Anthropology, mm-hmm. the human make a uh, uh, makeup, right? Uh, it consists of the material and immaterial. In this, we see that we are created in the image of God. That's Genesis one twenty seven. So we have to start with that aspect, mm-hmm. with a perfect human disposition that was without sin, that was before the fall. Say what? Right, right. <laughs> now, when I mean by perfect, I don't mean by all knowing as no. as God is all knowing. I mean. Without sin. Yeah, according to our nature, Mm -hmm. we knew perfectly what we've been given to know. Yes, right. Yeah, and so our nature was not influenced Mm -hmm. pre-fall. Our nature was not influenced by sin. Right. It's really even hard to like actually picture it even though we get like we get an account of what it was like in the garden pre-fall we were living and we weren't functioning right right in direct relationship and communion with the lord which was a part of our environment we understood that god was outside of us so anything outside of man technically qualifies as environment yes and we were reacting with that and growing in with our perfect mind as we've been given knowledge Things like that. Adam didn't know the dog was a dog before he met the dog. Yeah. And then he named the dog. And then he named it. Right. I'm just. Fido. I don't know. Actually. It was named Fido. 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 Mm -hmm. So spots over there. Fido's over there. (laughs) But uh, no, I'm. Or Ivan. I I mean, he even looks at woman and says, finally. Yes. Somebody I can relate to. Yeah. He says, finally. At last, actually. I'm like, dude, you were only alive for like a day. He, like, he like groans. He's like, ah. But he goes, at last, mm-hmm. right? You know, it goes bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. I should call her. Woman. Oh, woman. Woman. She is born of man. She Because from the woe of man, man's suffering. Mm-hmm. Out comes a woman. The woe man. Right, right. <laughs> but. Um, so we were without sin. All genes and all physical components and faculties were uh, without, without corruption. Yeah. yeah, knowledge was perfect in the sphere of being. Um, nothing beyond being, uh, uh, nothing beyond it, nothing below it. Right, a perfect understanding of identity with no disorder to be found, and that's important. Man, right well. that's crazy. So imagine that. No, nope, right, right. I can't. So I try and I can't. Right, right, we can't even look into the mirror nowadays and recognize ourselves fully. Right. Uh, well, even though it's staring right back I'm at flawless. Us. I don't know about you, but yeah, <laughs> no makeup, no nothing, just. Uh. <laughs> Snapping <laughs> the fingers. Look at that. Like, you go. Um, but, like, so when we start talking about human faculties, you know, what's inside of us, our processing units, our functions, our neuropathways, or whatever, <clears throat> um, this was perfection in the sense of non corruption. Right. Not corrupted by sin. So we wouldn't even have to develop, you know, DSM criterion. No. <laughs> right. That. <laughs> So we understand first right. that the reason why we have suffering at all, either mentally, physically, whatever. It's because of the fall. Is a direct aspect of the fall. Yes. Yep. So, right. And no, and a working out. So this is what Christ did on the cross. Uh, so Adam is given us sin. Christ has given us righteousness. 
supposed to renew us. Yeah. So to, we inherited both. Right. If you're a believer, you inherited not just Adam's sin, yeah. but you also inherit Christ's now, righteousness. If you're going to say that Adam caused mental health disorders, which, okay. But, um, yes. Then also say that Christ's righteousness relieves them. To, relieves them. Mm-hmm. Now, where does that lie? Right. Where is the gray area here? So now that's why we dig into what disorders are. Well, and like, so here's the thing. We've had how many thousands of years of the influence of the impact of sin Mm -hmm. on flesh, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And there's some post-milk people that might argue with the way that I'm going to couch this. but Mm -hmm. Um, But being saved does not mean now this side of eternity, this side of the resurrection, that your flesh is fully healed. Mm. What it does mean is that you are covered in totality mm. with Christ's perfect righteousness. Right. And God does promise mm. that he will, all things will be renewed, all things will be restored. Because I had peace with God, I was able to deal with my mental state yes. a little bit better. So you take somebody... Let's just take somebody with borderline personality disorder. You get, you have the unbeliever and believer. They both have borderline personality disorder. Who's better off? Well, I mean... <laughs> the believer. Of course. <laughs> Why? That question. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, do you really want me to answer that? Well, the thing is, the secular world would say the same. Right. That's true. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, okay. Right. So we understand <laughs> there is a difference between a believer struggling with something and a yes, believer struggling. Yeah, with. inherently. And this is what we're going to poke into. And uh, peace and belief and hope do tremendous things to the mentality. I mean, uh, while sometimes I never promise the restoration as far as completely healed, no suffering. Right. You're never going to feel depressed again. You're never going to feel anxious again. I can't even again. promise anybody no. that, even if they don't have a disorder. Yeah. But I'm going to say that your chances are uh, uh, are more likely for that to happen than being an unbeliever. Uh-huh. Right? Well, yeah. So, like, there's Band-Aids and then there's surgery. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, let me put some Neosporin on that gaping and, wound. And I do believe secular remedy is Band-Aids. Uh, yes. And that uh, Christ's righteousness, uh, being born again, is surgery. So, without Christ, secular like healing is band-aids i think with christ we can extrapolate tons of extremely useful things from what people of the world have observed i'll give you this jacob was a deceiver that's what his name means in that he became israel right he wrestles with god Mm -hmm. right literally right wrestles with god literally and then god breaks his hip yep why he will always remember who he was yeah but also because he's been given a name, mm-hmm. recognize who he is. So there's always a limp mm-hmm. with Jacob, mm-hmm. but he's fine. Yeah, <laughs> right. So I have scars. I have a limp myself. Now I don't want to say that I'm Jacob. Or Not an actual uh, limp. Know, yeah, he doesn't have a real uh, one. No, I don't have it. No. it. It just depends on how I woke up this morning, really. <laughs> uh, you know, um, um, and uh, I do recognize my scars. And sure. Things that I've completely messed up in my mind because of drug addiction, mm-hmm. and that maybe they'll never go away. Sure. I can promise you. Never here. Never this side of eternity. I will always promise that it will get better. Yeah. What I mean by that is when you grow into the admiration and uh, the praise of God, um, things get better. Even if there isn't relief. Mm -hmm. And I like relief in the sense of now I no longer struggle with this. 
Now, we always say that the Lord giveth and the take, and taketh away. Mm-hmm. And sometimes when we say that, we concentrate on the taketh part, mm-hmm. just to put it into perspective. It's, it's, there's, it, it's easier to remember. Yeah. But remember that he giveth all folk. Yeah. All folk giveth. He all folk giveth. <laughs> is that in Job or is it in Ecclesiastes? It's a joke. Yeah, it's a joke. I thought it was in Job. So he giveth and he taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the, and so let's concentrate on both aspects to where holistically we understand that he gives and takes away. The reason why I say that is because he very well could heal you. Yes. Uh, either way, what are you getting? Right. Cessationists yeah. believe in miracles. Yes. <laughs> we do. <laughs> he does save you from your... So sufferings. here's the thing. There is always, always, always a categorical difference between suffering... And suffering with hope. And see what we're saying here. Psychologists never say you're going to be healed either. No, they don't. No. Well, I mean, some of them might fallaciously promise that. But they're going to say it can get better. Mm -hmm. You're better off. Mm -hmm. Well, Christians are going to say the same thing too. Except we know that one day. It doesn't, that it's actually true because it doesn't rely on us. And we know that one day. Right. That you will have all your tears wiped away. Right. Every and so I can promise you full healing. Right. Might not be tomorrow. But, but your hope is in the resurrection of the dead right. where you'll accomplish that fully. Right. And suffering God. in hope and suffering without are two vastly different things. And though there will be suffering, there will also be rewards and joy, joy. to that day. Yeah. So, so like, so, so it, we, we talked about Genesis being in the image of God. By chapter three, we see that men fell from God and had a curse applied to him. The suffering would now be his new disposition. Yes. So now we are coming from complete righteousness and well, not even righteousness. I Mm -hmm. don't think Adam merited anything, but, um, um, uh, perfection, cognitive perfection, right? Sinlessness, sinlessness, right now. Corruption is his disposition. Yeah. This is when we start to see now questions like nature and nurture, even being Mm -hmm. a part of the equation. So that would gradually affect both physical and immaterial, right? Uh, man's age lessened over time. Yep. Mental capacity went from perfect to fallacious. Disease and death became the new norm. Indeed. Right? Well, and I think one of the things, you're probably going to get to this in just a second, but we we actually get told very clearly what our nature is in Adam. Mm. Like, we are not born a blank slate. And what that doesn't mean is that you come out of the womb. Of, Knowing things. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. but you have inherited Mm. from our federal head, Adam, sin, a sinful nature. You are not mostly good. You are not prone to goodness over evil. You are prone. You are enslaved to rebellion against the creator of the universe until Jesus. So it's like uh, you're born knowing nothing and aware that you know nothing. And in order to be aware that you know nothing, uh, know nothing, you have to know something <laughs> and what? right. The physical yeah. and the immaterial are something that you're aware of. Uh, I believe when you're born, um, I don't know to what extent, but there in Romans one, we have sort of, uh, an innate, uh, in an, excuse me, innate, um, knowledge of God. Um, yes. And his holiness, uh, which is reflective. So we do understand our folly and, um, and we suppress the truth and righteousness as we, 
So, Nick, what does God say about nurture? So Christians should understand that uh, the cultural mandate, you ever heard that word cultural mandate, right? Right. Mm -hmm. This is a theological word that we use, right? Um, That is a man's commitment uh, or, uh, excuse me, commandment that God gave him to rule over, right? Uh, In Genesis, we see God giving Adam a mandate to work and till the ground to take dominion over all things. And of course, he received a helper and thus both were to be fruitful and multiply. Brown chicken, brown cow. (laughs) After Adam had, (laughs) that's funny. After Adam had had fell, uh, though, uh, the world, Adam's environment also uh, has a curse applied. We just talked about this. In this, we see that one submissive uh, environment um, and rebels against his master, right? So the the once submissive environment now rebels against right. the the once like uh, submitting to dominion soil is now rebellious soil, right? And that master is man, right? So this is a crucial component to understanding nurture. Man was supposed to rule over all creation as image bearers of God, and now the exact opposite happens. Uh huh. <laughs> so. Nature and nurture. So our environment, we were always supposed to be influenced by our uh, always. <laughs> we were we were actually created for yeah. that. Like we even we eat food that right. influences us. Yeah, and I don't think that the environment has changed, other than the fact that we now relate to it in sin. Yeah, well, right, which unfortunately means that it's changed drastically. So does it produce thorns and thistles? And this is a thought of experiment, and I believe it does. Uh-huh. Does it produce thorns and thistles because that's the curse? Or does it produce thorns and thistles is because we are a sorry master? Uh, but Well, I feel like that's a chicken-egg argument. Right, right. Because it, we are a sorry master because of the curse. Yeah. Um. We, and and we were talking about this even before we started recording, and I just I can't remember where I. But basically, about this. said uh, God says through thorns and thistles, that's the curse. Right, you will see the curse. Right. right, so like, it's like you you will see the you're supposed to rule, and now you're going to it's going it's going to rule you. It's going yeah. to be tough on you to do this. Right, and it right. wasn't supposed to. And I think it's it's so interesting to think when Adam sinned. And all creation falls as a result of that sin. It's falling into the domain or under the dominion of the rebel, right? Who it's being given to. So like Adam was actually given dominion by God. That was a real thing. It wasn't just the symbolic, oh, the earth is your, it was you literally mm-hmm. have dominion here over the earth, over the to, animals. I need you to work it and produce it. Yeah, yeah. go name everything. Go be a good master of Talking this. Talking about giving the best gift. Oh know? man. So it's like, you didn't create the soil. No, but it's yours yeah, to you, work. You didn't make the soil produce plants the way no. it is, but I'm going to say work it because the way I've designed it is going to produce things Fruit. for you. Fruit. So when Adam sins, he gives literal dominion to Satan. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really interesting metaphor to, to see like now creation underneath the dominion of satan reflect that rebellion even in thorns and and thistles look at god holding both parties responsible yes both so he does chastise the one that follows the enabler yes as well as the The enabler enabler, right you're both guilty you're both guilty you're both guilty so he hates when people make other people stumble yes um better for you yeah right but the person that stumble 
because God hath said. Yes. The, the person, person that, that stumbles, stumbles is no, still responsible. Because yeah, God already said. So I like so. I'm going to I think this like believing, believing, having your worldview impacted truly from a biblical platform versus like an evolutionary one. Um, it's so important with like what you allow in terms of like how you excuse and explain people's behaviors. And I, I remember like even in like undergrad still. So before I was saved and then as I was be like moving into right before and then after God saved me, um, believing that we are only evolved animals, right? That had a very serious impact on how I viewed myself and how I viewed other people and how I viewed the world. And it really influenced my expectations and it will influence your expectations. So, um, this specifically with regard to sex, I feel like I'm pulling Freud. What? Hey, Hey mom, come back into the conversation. Um, I remember thinking this so like this was so factual in my mind yeah. as a young woman yeah. um, that men, like we're all just evolved animals, but men specifically are just like monkeys by nature. Like they are like sexual aggressive beings, which I had no idea at the time was a Freudian thought, but it right, is. Right. Um, and that because they are only evolved animals, like they're actually a victim themselves of nature, of their own nature. Mm. And because of that, they're incapable of self-control. And that was especially true with how I viewed like their interaction with anything sexual, sex, any like pornography, monogamy, all of that, right, was being impacted by that view. So if you are incapable of self-control and self-governance because all you are is the last in a long line of evolution from animals that are just driven by sex, like their desire to procreate, then you can't really be held responsible for that. Mm -hmm. Like men can't help it, right? This is just kind of how they yeah. are. And I remember through like high school, high school and lots of, lots of, uh, college probably up into like graduate school because I was just in the beginning of graduate school when God saved me um that monogamy actually forced men to fight their own their genetic makeup mm. right that their genetic drive to reproduce reproduce with as many women or mates as possible is something they were actually fighting to submit to monogamy. Mm -hmm. They just can't help it. Like this, it has a, so many implications. It seems kind of like an aloof so topic, but it's so into, important. So, yeah. And that is so like you, like you ask any pastor whether or not a man is responsible for governing their sexual impulse. And uh -huh. what does God say about lust? Like uh -huh. not men, men and women are not excused from just, this. It comes from the heart. Yeah. And so, and like, you know, uh, evolutionists uh, would say that monogamy is impossible, you know, because right. of just what you just stated. And I'm like, you know, if your understanding, um, you know, of the human disposition is to strictly procreate and pass along your gene pool. Right. That's your like impulse. <laughs> That's the only thing driving you. Knowing the disasters we end up when we sleep with everybody, uh, you're less likely to do that. Oh my gosh. You're more likely to produce more. As a Christian. And efficiently. Yeah, as a Christian. With monogamy. Right. Like, I'm be fruitful about, and multiply. Yeah, inefficiently. Yep. Yes. Whether or not you have three or 12. Exactly. Because the odds are that their survival mm -hmm. is going to be better. And mm -hmm. that's, 
That seems well, that's to be how the you design. actually take dominion. So it seems like monogamy would actually be the better. Would make sense. Even the, the, the evolutionist is not thinking that way. And I'm like, no, but like, come on, let's let's look at the empirical results. <laughs> Daddy leaving is not good for the family. And they nope. often have short lives. It's not good. <laughs> it's real. Like, guys, come on. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. That is just an excuse yeah. that they can just. So get a God does not let you off the hook. That is right. why this, the idea that's presented in scripture isn't as appealing. So now we have, you know, so what is the, so let's go back to nurture uh, real quick. So, you know, what does man deal with really? I mean, though creation itself is generally inanimate, right? It, with the exceptions of, you know, animals and you know, sure. things like that. Well, it, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the environment uh, rebels against its master. That's man is twofold though. The, the rebellion is twofold disasters that harm men, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, tornadoes, earthquakes, whatever. Oh yeah. Right. Earthquakes. Right. Earthquakes. <laughs> if you have an earthquake. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's so funny. Not fever, not you fever. Didn't miss it. You didn't You didn't like. Oh, sorry, I heard cake. Yeah. So. Earthquakes. Earthquakes. <laughs> but yeah, the d- disasters that harm men. I'm sorry, I can't get over <laughs> that one. Earthquakes is hilarious. <laughs> if we ever start a bakery, that's the name of the bakery is Earthquakes. I'm going to start again. <laughs> disasters that harm men and the production of thorns and thistles, like we've been talking about, that cause men suffering in his labor. Yes. So the that's why we have to get the cultural mandate. He said, "Take dominion." That's labor work. Mm-hmm. Man has been given work. Good work. And that uh, shows that he was the master. So the master wasn't supposed to sit on the throne. No. And order everything. The master was supposed to be involved. Work. Now this parallels God's um, um, involvement with us. Mm-hmm. A master is with his, you know, people. Right. With his subjects. So, so his subjects. The environment was supposed to be subject to us. We were supposed to be with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. right. So like that just kind of comes back to the whole point. Like we were always, we, we've always, yeah. we've always had a nature given to us by God that is spiritual. And we were always supposed to be influenced by our environment and yeah. to influence our environment. When we were, we were supposed to walk in harmony with yes. each other, not be at odds. Sorry, I have lots of songs running through my head right now to to walk in harmony. Ebony and ivory (laughs) come together. (laughs) Harmony. Um, um, When man once had perfection and his environment was happy to have his master and now he is corrupted and the environment rebels against his master, this could also be the imagery of man's relationship to God, once submissive, now in rebellion. I think it is that imagery yeah. for sure. And so remember Romans 1 now actually kind of codifies how we interact with it. We give ourselves over to it. Mm-hmm. We've given over to a debased mind right. because of it. Oh, look, mental right. <laughs> capacity, a debased mind. Right. God will hand you over to things that you're not supposed to do or give yourselves over to a various list of yeah. that room. I love Jeff's um, kind of illustration of this, like with like the nature of man. He talks about if you are if you are a vulture and you are in a room or wherever vultures vulture and you have a pile of meat in front of you and you have a pile of carrots in front of you. You are going to choose the meat because you are a vulture, mm. right? Like your nature actually enslaves you to choosing the meat. And if you are a bunny, I love this. I don't. It's always fun to listen to Jeff talk about bunnies. 
you're not going for the meat. At least I don't think so, right? Maybe those like giant rabbits eat meat, but you're going for the carrot. So God is like, you actually see this whole concept in things that are not humans, yeah. right? Water doesn't decide to be wet. No, it is. <laughs> it just is. It's a fluid and a liquid. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it could be a solid. Somebody trying to uh, fallaciously describe the Trinity. Oh yeah, that ice, ice, water, and steam. Oh gosh, guys, that's modal. Yeah, modalism. modalism, I was going to say modality, but yeah. Yeah. Um, So scripture is extremely clear that we have a sin nature, and we have a sin nature because of the fall. Mm. We inherited that sin nature from Adam, Mm -hmm. and if you are a believer, you inherited righteousness from Christ. You are either in Adam or in Christ. Or in Christ, yeah, and so. Now, here's the kicker in Romans 1. Mm. While we give ourselves over Mm -hmm. to creation and hand it over to debased mind, God says that you actually know that you're doing it. Yeah, right. There's still no excuse. And that you're suppressing the truth. And then this is why wrath is on you. Yep. And you recognize it. And you also recognize it because the works of the law are evil. So there is something innately in you. Right. Genetic, spiritual, and physical. Mm -hmm. And then there is something that you're doing outside of yourself environmental yeah. so when i look at let's just say empirical studies that uh, so there's no homosexuality gene uh-huh. right and so now they've chalked it up to genes environment i'm like well you chalk everything up that you can't explain the gene yeah. <laughs> genes and environment right but, but nevertheless mm-hmm. that's what romans one says that you would come to the conclusion to because all you have is your genes and environment when right. you forego God. You have only the ways of the wind. You didn't consider your, the, your creator in your genes or your creator involved in your environment and what you were supposed to do in this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I'm not surprised that I look at that. We are seeing the manifestation of somebody ge- uh, been given over to a debased mind. Mm-hmm. That's the genes and environment. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least in that aspect, right? In that manifestation. Now, what if somebody that believes? How are they influenced by their environment? And what are their genes are saying, mm-hmm. right? And we have a law. We consider God now. And so that we can do it rightly. And because we're still sin, uh, sinful and uh, unto the day of resurrection, we're always going to be battling with this. Yes. And, and blessed. That's just why the gospel is good news. We're not condemned anymore. Right. It's just, right. <laughs> this is now biblical anthropology of being born again right yes and so now we can embrace our environment mm-hmm. and we can finally and we can act, we can take dominion over it even with the thorns and thistles right. so start your farmer's markets be creative <laughs> oh yeah way to loop <laughs> it back around so like it, i mean in in the levitical law in leviticus 9 you know it says um don't hate your brother in your heart mm-hmm Surely you should reprove him, mm. right, lest you incur his sin. Yeah. And so basically, what's it, really what it's saying is love your neighbor, but it's it's saying brother. This is in the covenant relationship right. with God. So love your, don't hate your brother in your heart. If you see him sin, it's better that you go correct him. Right. Than to just stand off and go, ugh. And be like, ooh, you sin. Because or... you're going to end up sinning because of him. Yeah. You see how we influence each mm-hmm. other when we don't either check each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and God says it's better for you to reprove, correct your brother right. instead of hate him. Oh, because man. what does hatred do? Corrupts. Okay, so you see environment mm-hmm. and genes mm-hmm. right there. He's well, saying this is yeah. bouncing back and forth, and it, it is a perpetual machine. If you look at the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is noticing all of that, and then the conclusion is vanity. Right, vanity. You're not getting any advantage because you die. Right. You could be me. 
Solomon, yeah. or you could be Ed over there. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And, 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 that, and we're both the same. And basically the same. You just go round yep. and round and round and round. You do the same things every day. And if the Lord doesn't build the house, your labor isn't there. Nick is rotating his finger in a circle as right. he says round and round. And so this is kind of <laughs> how I think about life too as well. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it even says that ri- that righteousness, if any man is righteous, it's in the hands of God. Yep. At yep. all. Mm-hmm. It's in the hands of God. And yet that man doesn't even know if it's going to be love or hate uh, uh, ahead of him. Yes. Doesn't even know. And so we're always worried about things of the future. We're influenced by our fear of death, which mm-hmm. is not even a part of our environment right now because it hasn't happened yet. Well, but we've seen it on other people, so we think about We know it. it's coming. We realize our mortality, and I think that even in human development, we don't consider that too much. Our mm-hmm. ontology and our end, mm. right? Our beginning and our end. Mm-hmm. And then God faithfully displays this, I'm the beginning. Right. And I am the end. Um, I, I think I was listening maybe to the Haunted Cosmos Patreon, mm-hmm. but the the definition of like death as the disembodiment of a soul really, I think, is a great place to just end like this illustration. We were created spiritual beings to inhabit our souls or sorry, our bodies and our bodies were created in communion with our spirit and those two things in tandem were to work and take dominion over the environment, over the earth. And the fall cursed all of that and sentenced us as humans to the ultimate, well, at least in the first death, like a disembodiment, right? Like our soul is removed from our physical body, which really is like this it illustrates this concept of like nature or nurture being independent when they aren't they're not. they're not independent god is sovereign yeah is uh, it, uh, there's a tandem work here yes mm-hmm. yes and um well god is in the details as they <laughs> right so go bake your sourdough and make your soap and sell it at nick's farmer's and market <laughs> live the rest of your vain life <laughs> because Jesus to god's is, glory yeah, yeah to god's glory and always <laughs> Take heart. Take heart. He has overcome the world. Love you guys. Love you guys.